inspiration. You were there to help me out. You just saw the need and said, can I help you? We learn a lot from watching other horses and watching other riders. I'm Julie Goodnight, and thanks for listening to my podcast about horse training and equestrian sports. It's time for Ride On with Julie Goodnight. Since the last time we recorded, I'm starting to get back into a more normal work schedule this fall. I've taken my first few trips by airplane since March of 2020, and that's gone really well. I had my first regular horsemanship clinic last month where people actually bring their own horses to the clinic. It was in Phoenix, Arizona, so the weather was perfect. It was a great clinic with lots of interesting horses and riders. It was super fun for me because it's been a while since I've gotten to help clients directly with their horses in person. So it's good to be back at it. I also attended the CHA International Conference in Fort Worth, Texas last month. We were hosted by the Fort Worth Herd. If you've never been to Fort Worth and seen the old historic downtown area where they drive the big herd of Longhorns through twice a day, every day of the year, you should check it out. You can go to fortworth.com and see all the pictures, read all about it. It's really an amazing program there. It's incredible to see those huge steers parade through downtown, through the throngs of tourists there. The drovers and the crew that make it all happen are fabulous people that I've gotten to know over the years, and I really do love them. And best of all, I got to ride Pepperoni for my presentations in the Coliseum there. His other mother, Nancy, and I were quite proud of him. He took everything in stride, even the Longhorns, which he was stabled right next to. And, you know, honestly, he acted like a mature, well-trained horse just doing his job. So that was great to see. Here at home, I've had more time to reconnect with my little mare, Annie. Mostly, I've been riding her bareback and bridleless. She's a highly tuned and responsive and quick-footed little horse, and that makes riding bareback quite an exhilarating experience. Since winter's arrived full bore around here, we're mostly relegated to riding indoors. So riding bareback and without the bridle makes an otherwise monotonous routine a little more exciting, at least for me. I think Annie likes it too. My travel schedule for 2022 has shifted over to full steam ahead. I'll have four riding retreats at the Sea Lazy U Ranch here in Granby, Colorado. In the spring, we have the Women's Riding and Wholeness Retreat that I co-teach alongside my dear friend and colleague, Barbara Schulte. Then in the fall, we have two ranch riding adventure programs this year. This is great news for all the people that have been trying to get into this clinic for the last few years. And later in the fall, we have the Horsemanship Immersion Program, which will be a five-day program starting in 2022. So that way we can squeeze in more trail riding and more workshops into the already power-packed program. That's the Horsemanship Intensive Program at the Sea Lazy U Ranch. I'm also headed back to Ireland in the fall of 2022 with Connemara Equestrian Escapes. This is a small group experience with daily horsemanship clinics, plus cultural tours, 
plus riding on the wild Atlantic coast alongside me as your instructor and guide. It's an incredibly beautiful country there. This will be my second time going on this riding vacation with Connemara Equestrian Escapes. I love the spirit of the Irish people, and we are certainly eager to return there. Of course, I have a full slate of horse expos also coming up in 2022 with stops in Colorado, Oregon, Idaho, and Wisconsin. So for more information on my 2022 schedule, please visit juliegoodnight.com events. And while you're there, check out my online training resources, curriculums, and personalized coaching programs. Plus, we've got innovative grooming tools, tack, bits, training equipment, and videos all at shop.juliegoodnight.com. Today's topic came straight from one of our listeners. It's about understanding the different temperaments of horses and how it might affect the training approach I would take. You know, with well over a half century of riding and training horses behind me, it's hard for me to calculate exactly how many horses I've had a chance to work with over the years, whether it's from the ground or riding. But I know it's in the thousands, enough to know that horses are truly individuals, each with their own tendencies, their own quirks, and their own idiosyncrasies, just like people. Still, there are certain characteristics that some horses share. There are types of horses, which is important for us to understand, and there are behavioral tendencies that can be genetic or can be learned. So before I get too far into how different temperaments respond to different types of training approaches, let's talk about the individuality of horses. First, I want to talk about breed or type versus the individual. You know, there are over 300 different horse breeds in the world, but there are actually only five or six different types of horses. So when we talk about a horse type, we are looking at big, you know, high altitude categories of horses, and they basically fall down into these five categories, heavy horses or light horses. And then we have sport horses or often referred to as warm blood. And that, you know, is in general viewed to be a cross between a heavy and a light horse. We have gated horses and we have ponies. So if you just take a look at a horse, uh, their general size and appearance and nothing else, you could categorize that horse into one of these categories. He's either a heavy horse, a light horse, a sport horse, a gated horse, or a pony. So what you may not know is that um, horses evolve simultaneously all over the world with different characteristics developing according to the climate they evolved in. So the draft horses came from the northern climates. They evolved in very cold weather. They're big, they're hairy, they have, they're big-footed to stand in the snow. They have big heads to warm the air as they breathe it in. Their body type is evolved to withstand that really ultra-cold climate. And conversely, 
The desert horses evolved much differently. These are our light horses, right? These are, uh, you know, the classic era of the classic desert horse, of course, is the Arabian horse. And their body type is much, much different. And it evolved differently in order to handle the heat and the harsh climates. So their body type is more about giving off heat and, and not overheating it's about um, cooling and moistening the air as they breathe in rather than warming it. So this is really interesting. And by the way, if you're interested in the science behind how horses evolved, one of my favorite books is a British veterinary textbook, and it's called Horse Behavior. It's written by Daniel Mills. And he goes extensively into the backstory of how horses evolved and different types of horses it's really fascinating read. Another thing that's important for you to understand uh, beyond just categorizing horses into these um, five or six types is to understand the interplay between our genes or the, the animal's DNA and, um, and between the individual um, horse that's actually before you. So this is scientifically referred to genotype versus phenotype. And genotype is the DNA that determines the unique traits of that individual. So it's your DNA. You are born with it. You, at least up until this point in science, you cannot change your DNA. Um, you have genetic tendencies towards certain uh, physical characteristics, behavioral characteristics, mental characteristics, emotional characteristics, health, uh, all of those things are uh, reflected in the DNA. When we talk about phenotype, we're talking about the actual physical appearance that um, the individual has and their actual individual behavioral traits. And in other words, your DNA is a coded map that um, allows you or disallows uh, genetic potential, but the phenotype is what's actually on the ground in front of you. Your DNA might have said that you could have been a solid-colored horse or you could have been a pinto-colored horse, but the actual physical appearance in front of you, the phenotype, is that pinto-colored horse. So this is, phenotype is the actual physical appearance and the actual behavioral traits that that individual possesses. By the way, if you're into understanding more about genetics, the genetic research into horses is just crazy off the charts what's happened in the last decade, starting out with just trying to understand color genetics in horses so breeders could be more exacting in the colors of horses that they bred and it has morphed into so much more than that and primarily into areas of health and well-being. And they're now doing a lot of research into behavioral genetics, trying to understand which behavioral tendencies are actually present in the horse's DNA. So in understanding more about a horse's DNA, you should understand the horse either inherits two copies of the same allele or one copy of two different alleles from their parents. If an individual inherits two identical alleles, their genotype is said to be homozygous. You may have heard that term before 
in the color breeding of horses. When they say the stallion is homozygous for that color, it means he inherited, he has two identical alleles and will always produce that color. So two different alleles is referred to as heterozygous. And that means the gene might express itself in either way, in either color. Now let's talk about the horse's temperament. A horse is born with its temperament. His temperament cannot be changed, but it can be influenced by training. It's important for you to understand the difference between instinctive behavior and learned behaviors. I've written about this a lot and talked about it a lot, so you may have picked up on this in some of my other materials. But instinctive behaviors are those behaviors that are genetically driven, that are virtually fully formed at birth, and they include things like flight or fight, uh, reproductive behaviors, um, eating behaviors, herd behaviors, um, all of these things that we see those baby foals start acting out within the first hour of life. These are instinctive behaviors. And learned behaviors are everything that comes after that. So learned behaviors, this is the age-old argument of nature versus nurture. So the instinctive behaviors are the nature of that horse, that temperament the horse was born with. Learned behaviors are everything that comes after that. Horses are extremely fast-learning animals. They have to be to negotiate their environment as prey animals. They are flight animals, which also means they have to be rapidly learning animals. If they weren't, they would just be in a constant state of flight and they would just run until they drop dead. So they have the ability to, uh, in a very sensitive way, perceive their environment, learn what's threatening and what's not. They learn to be curious about things that are non-threatening. They learn uh, flight behaviors to keep themselves safe. They also instinctively know fighting behaviors um, when uh, even though a horse chooses flight, in most instances, he's perfectly capable of fight. So these are all instinctive behaviors that the horse is pretty much born with that is influenced by its DNA. But because they learn so fast, from the moment of birth forward, it becomes very difficult to distinguish between instinctive and learned behaviors, although certainly if one studies horse behavior and works with um, you know, many, many different types of horses, you learn, you learn to be able to at least make an educated guess into what's instinctive behavior and what's learned behavior in an individual horse. But it's important for you to keep in mind those are two different types of behaviors. They are the only two types of behaviors, instinctive or learned, nature versus nurture. So when we talk about a horse's temperament, we're talking about the nature that he was born with. But you have to also keep in mind that his natural temperament can be heavily influenced by his life, by his handling, by his training, by his experience that changes the way he views people, the way he views his world, changes his confidence, changes his fear level, all of that. So good temperaments can be ruined by training and bad handling, 
And on the other hand, undesirable temperaments can be greatly improved through training. If you have a horse that maybe by nature is prone to temper tantrums, we can manage that horse in such a way that he never benefits from a tantrum, that he's never inadvertently rewarded, that his tantrums usually don't work out well for him, so he starts looking for other answers, and he finds other answers. And so we teach him to manage um, that, that high level of temper or high level anger that he might have been born with. One more thing to keep in mind when we talk about a horse's temperament is the terms hot-blooded and cold-blooded, which we hear a lot and use a lot in reference to horses, but you seldom hear it defined. So I want to make sure everyone understands these terms thoroughly. A hot-blooded horse is defined as a horse that's highly sensitive to all environmental stimuli. He's reactive to sound, to movement, to touch, to uh, you know pressure, to weather changes, to everything in his environment. A cold-blooded horse is a horse that's insensitive to environmental stimuli. Things don't bother him. And he's not as reactive by any means. So we use these terms hot-blooded and cold-blooded not only to refer to individual horses, but we also use them with great generality uh, to refer to types of horses. In other words, we think of our light horses our sport horses, uh, horses like thoroughbreds, Arabians, um, and even some warm-blooded horse breeds, we think of them as hot-blooded breeds. We think of our draft horses as a cold-blooded breed. A lot of people think of quarter horses in general as a colder-blooded breed. However, that there is no accounting for individuals within any breed. So I have certainly been around plenty cold-blooded draft horses, but I have been around plenty hot-blooded draft horses. So hot-blooded and cold-blooded actually refers to the sensitivity level of the horse, whether we're talking about an individual or a general category of horses. We can say that in general, most thoroughbreds are hot-blooded. We can say that in general, it's a hot-blooded breed. But within that breed, there are certainly many individuals that are cold-blooded for a thoroughbred. They're not that sensitive um, to environmental stimuli. So keep that in mind. We, we talk about this term both individually and, and generally, and it has meaning both directions. But really all we're talking about is the sensitivity level of the horse. Now let's talk about some stereotypical horse temperaments. And I'll talk about the unique traits of that type of horse and how your training approach might be affected. But remember, each horse is an individual. These are not hard and fast categories. In fact, there may be overlap from one category to another, or your horse might be a little bit of this and a little bit of that. But let's look at some generalities among horses. First, let's talk about the lazy horse, versus the high-energy horse. Now, lazy is a bit, might be construed as a derogatory term, so what I should say is low-energy versus high-energy. This is often referred to as too much woe versus too much go. This is um, referred to as too slow, too fast. 
This is referred to as a forward-moving horse uh, versus a unmotivated horse, shall we say. So most horses that you ride, you're, right away you're going to figure out um, this horse has a lot of go or this horse has almost no go. And this is an important sort of delineation to make with a horse. Certainly horses that are high energy, more forward moving horses tend to be the hotter blooded horses in general. These are horses that are bred to run fast and go far. They are horses that are bred to have a really highly driven, highly motivated work ethic in some certain category like racing or um, cutting, you know, some kind of cow work, uh, polo. These horses have been bred for activities that require a lot of go, so they have been genetically selected for that kind of energy level. Then uh, other horses, seemingly from the time they're born, are much quieter, are much um, less, or I should say, much more reluctant to move forward and expend energy. These horses tend to be less sensitive to pressure, all types of pressure, whether we're talking about physical pressure or mental pressure or other environmental pressure. Um, It's not a hard and fast rule that Forward horses are hot-blooded and lazy horses are cold-blooded, but it often breaks down in that category. In other words, I've had some very quiet, gentle, seemingly lazy quarter horses that once you ask them to go are all business and are all go. So sometimes, you know, and maybe that's a horse that's not one extreme or the other but falls more in the middle, but horses tend to break down one way or the other in this category. How is training different with these horses? Well, it's all about the go. And in fact, one of the most fundamental laws of training horses is this. Forward motion is the basis of all training in horses. Without forward motion, a horse cannot be trained. When you have a horse that naturally has a lot of go, has a big motor, and is all about going somewhere, moving forward, going faster. In many ways, that horse is easier to train because training is about controlling forward motion, not establishing forward motion. So when you have a horse that has a low energy level and is reluctant to move forward, all of your energy throughout its training, and especially in the beginning, is focused on the go getting that horse to respond and move freely and willingly forward on command. So we really focus hard on that. With all horses, their training is first and foremost focused on forward motion. So with a horse that's naturally forward, you've already got that covered, and now we're just working on controlling that forward motion. With a low-energy horse, establishing forward motion, reestablishing forward motion, those horses... Um, often default to not moving when things don't go their way. So if they don't want to cross a creek, they just stop. And anybody who's worked with that kind of horse knows that that is actually a more challenging um, training situation. With that high-energy, forward-moving horse, there are certain 
things I'm going to factor into his training. I always want to make sure that horse has had plenty of turnout, plenty of playtime with other horses. I want to, if I have a choice about it, I'm going to turn that horse out with other horses that are high energy so they chase each other around and run and run and run and run. I want him to get all those yayas out of his system without me in the picture. I might train change up my training routine a little bit uh, both on the ground and under saddle where I do a little bit more forward movement in the beginning of that workout in order to take some of the steam off the horse as opposed to that low energy horse where my main focus in training is getting energy out of him so I always want to reward him when he's showing high energy by allowing him to stop and rest Whereas that high-energy forward-moving horse, I'm trying to kind of burn off a little steam on him so we we might trot a little bit longer. (laughs) And with that forward, fast-moving horse, I wait until I feel him soften and relax and gear down a little bit himself, and then I reward that by allowing him to walk and rest. So over time, he comes to realize that, you know, working that hard is not really necessary. Another dichotomy that we often see in horse temperaments are the flighty horse versus the curious horse. So flight or fear versus curiosity or bravery. These are traits, by the way, that can be identified in a horse's DNA report. But you shouldn't need a report to tell you what you have on the ground in front of you. Most people, once they've gotten to know a horse, you know, doesn't take you long to figure out, is this horse high on the flight scale or is he high on the curiosity slash bravery scale? I'm sure many of you know what a flighty horse looks like. These are horses that tend to be highly reactive to stimuli, a loud noise, a sudden movement, a barrel or some object appears in an area that wasn't there yesterday, They are suspicious out on the trail and, you know, looking around every corner like there's going to be a monster. Horses that are high in flight behavior tend to be overreactive to certain stimulus. They want to, um, you know, tense and freeze up. They want to spin and bolt. They become emotionally overwrought easily. That, that would be, you know, all the way on one end of the extreme. Versus the horse that's really high in bravery, not much flusters this horse, not much surprises this horse. He always seems to be one step ahead of everybody else. He tends to, by nature, be a very curious horse. He will approach um, novel stimuli rather than run away from it. He... Oftentimes, the, this extreme amount of bravery and curiosity can come with some less than desirable traits, like they might be a more dominant horse that wants to be a little bit more controlling. Um, when a horse has a very high level of bravery, uh, that also includes you, so you're not going to easily intimidate that horse if he chooses to misbehave. And he's going to be the one that looks at you and says, now what are you going to do about it? And kind of makes you quiver in your boots. So, but 
Curiosity in general is a really highly desirable trait in a horse. It is something that even if a horse is born high on flight and low on curiosity, we can train in curiosity to the horse. We can reward his curiosity. We can make sure we give him good, positive experiences that reward bravery and make him learn that his fear is unnecessary. With a fearful horse, in terms of training methods, we're going to primarily focus on teaching that horse how to deal with his fear. Nope, flight is not an option here when I'm riding you. You have Nope, turning away is not an option either. You have to face what you're afraid of. With horses that are really high on the fear scale, like I said, we want to do everything we can from the day that horse is born to encourage his curiosity and reward his bravery. We do that by providing a lot of novel stimuli, things that he can play with and stomp on and drag around and tear up in his pen. We teach him that when we're, when we're handling him from the ground and when we are riding them, that flight is not an option, that he must learn to trust his handler or his rider to uh, keep him safe, and that we're always going to reward his forward interest. We're always going to praise him, and we're always going to take care of him and make him feel safe. With the horses on the other end of the scale, the super brave horses, as I said, these horses can be a bit more challenging, but in general, these horses are really fun to train. I want to do everything I can to protect their bravery. In other words, just because that horse shows a lot of courage doesn't mean I want to put him in a situation that's going to make him rethink that that courage. In other words, I don't want to overface him or overexpose him to something that he's not ready for. I see this happen all the time. Um, it happens a lot with uh, young, talented show horses. People you know, put a lot of training on him at home, and the horse is performing really, really well because he's a you know, super forward-moving, willing, uh, driven, brave kind of horse. But then you take him to his first big horse show and expect him to perform in a strange arena with strange horses and a strange activity when the, when the rider's all cranked up. And um, sometimes we overstep our bounds there and we teach that otherwise brave horse that maybe he has something to be afraid of. So I want to make sure that never happens. I want to protect that horse's bravery, guide it in the direction I want it to go, but I do want to make sure that those uh, super brave and bold horses are not controlling me. They're not controlling the narrative. They're not manipulating me, and they can be very clever at that. And this brings me to another type of dichotomy you might see in a horse's temperament. And, and this one's sometimes hard to determine because certainly life experience is going to have a huge influence, but it has to do with Dominance versus submissiveness. We know that herd hierarchy is a big thing with horses and that it is linear. In other words, there's one horse at the top. We call that the alpha individual. Then the hierarchy of the herd lines out in a linear fashion to the one that's all the way at the bottom, known as the omega individual. So you could have a horse that by nature 
is anywhere on that scale from the most dominant to the most submissive. But most horses are going to fall somewhere in between. One reason this gets confusing is because when we force horses into a domestic herd, there is a false hierarchy there because in that particular herd that we created, there might not actually be a true alpha horse in that herd. So horses, but still a horse will rise to the most dominant position, even though he might not be by nature that type of dominant horse. So these things are not as easily delineated as one would think. But if you just judge the horse in front of you and the behavior that's in front of you at the moment, um, you know, I think there are some obvious traits between a, a extremely dominant horse and an extremely submissive one, not the least of which is their body posture, their re- how they respond to you. Are they trying to get away from you? Are they stepping away from you? Are they hiding their flank from you? Or are they making themselves big, holding their head up high, puffing up their muscles, trying to control you, trying to back you down? Um, These are uh, general characteristics. A dominant horse will try to control your actions. That's how horses establish dominance in the herd. So we watch out for horses that are pushing into us, leaning into us, trying to control speed, trying to control direction, all those types of things. How is training different between a super dominant and super submissive horse? Well, it's a lot different. And I think, you know, the reason why would be obvious. If you have a horse that's super submissive and not only by nature it's an Omega horse, but maybe by experience it's been picked on a lot or it's had bad experiences with humans or no experiences with humans, that, the way we handle that horse in getting him to like us, getting him to trust us, getting him to depend on us is far different from that horse that is pushing into you, running over the top of you, trying to tell you what to do. Um, so I, I think the differences in how you would handle those horses are, are pretty obvious. But a couple of things to think about One is, do not confuse a horse that's a bully or a horse that is a spoiled horse with a dominant horse, with an alpha horse. Alpha horses are not generally bullies. They, alpha horses tend to be very smart, very aware, and they tend to have very strong leadership skills. So if that horse is paired up with a person who's not very aware of what's going on around them, who lacks confidence, and who is very passive and not displaying any leadership skills, obviously the alpha horse is going to take control because the person is not stepping into the leadership role. But that is entirely different from a horse that has learned to be a bully to other horses or has learned to be a bully to people, to to headbutt them, sling into them, pull away from them, or spoiled horses that have, um, you know, not unlike a spoiled child, they've been rewarded for throwing tantrums. They've been rewarded for, you know, putting, putting their lips on you, pushing into you. They've been rewarded for stopping whenever they want. That is a horse that's been poorly trained and poorly handled, 
So don't confuse that with dominance either. That's a horse that has been taught to behave poorly. When you have a horse that is on the super submissive side of the scale, it can be a challenge to protect the try and the willingness in that horse. If you miss a horse's effort and you run right over the top of that horse or you drill on that horse really hard so that you don't even notice when he's put out a lot of effort and is looking for some reassurance. If you lose your temper with a super submissive horse and you scold him for, let's say, being afraid, um, that horse learns not to trust you. That horse learns to become fearful of, fe- of having a fearful emotion, and it can really compound the behavior a lot. So with those super submissive horses, we have to be quick to reward, quick to recognize when they try. We generally want to stay away from a lot of drilling um, on these horses, a lot of repetitive training. You want to take um, a lot of mental pressure off of these horses, let them rest, let them relax, let them put their head down and take a deep breath. So the uh, this difference between the super dominant and the super submissive horses may be one of the um, biggest areas where we actually um, change our training techniques depending on the behavior of the horse. Let's talk for a minute about an aggressive horse versus a passive horse, or I might say a quick-tempered horse versus a lackadaisical or unmotivated horse. Now, when I say aggressive or quick-tempered, these often are dominant horses. They are often horses that have a lot of bravery, have a lot of curiosity, aren't afraid of much. They can be quite stoic horses, and they tend to be horses that Uh, express aggression easily. In other words, if they don't like something, you're quick to know it. These are the horses that when you face a dilemma in training, like, um, yeah, I've been riding this horse for, you know, several weeks now, and so far he's done everything I asked, but all of a sudden I've upped the ante a little bit. I'm riding him outside the arena, um, going away from the barn, and he says, no, I don't want to go. And I say, well, I'm sorry, but you have to go because I asked you to go. This horse can be really quick to throw a temper tantrum. He bows up quick. He you know, threatens a lot. He threatens to buck. He threatens to rear. He threatens to balk. He threatens to you know, whatever. So the, that's what I would refer to as a quick-tempered horse that becomes reactive in an undesirable or aggressive way with very little provocation versus a horse that is very passive in his nature that you can make a lot of mistakes on and he doesn't seem to notice, that is not overreactive to the rider or the handler. These horses may seem like they're unmotivated and they may seem like they're insensitive but that is not always true. Uh, They just tend to put on 
an air about themselves that way. So these horses shut down very easily. And once they shut down and stop thinking, they become very difficult to train. They can also be horses that lack a lot of forward energy. So we have problems in their training there as well. So how is the training different between these types of horses? Quick-tempered horses are definitely tricky to train. They require confidence. They require an extreme amount of consistency. They require a rider or a handler that doesn't overreact to the horse's temper. Um, In other words, a quick-tempered horse with a quick-tempered trainer is a very bad combination and can end to the ruin of either or both individuals. Horses with a quick temper are tricky because you can't give in to their tantrums, but you don't want to bring that behavior out in them either. I learned a long, long time ago with horses, you never want to pick a fight with a horse. It's a bad idea in general. They are much bigger, stronger, faster animals than we are with much bigger instincts, and I don't want to pick a fight, you know, with a bigger animal, basically, But with these horses that are quick-tempered, we have to be very deliberate, very um, stable, and I want to say cold, but I don't mean in a bad way, but uh, steely-hearted. In other words, you want to not show emotion at all with these horses to once I have asked a horse to do something, I want to... Um, I'm not going to give in until he does it, but I'm not going to do anything to escalate the fight in the horse either. So it's a horse that you want to very much stay the course in, stay the course with, but do not escalate the behavior and never, never start a fight with one of these horses. But if you find yourself in a fight because he started it, you have to finish it. You have to stay the course with that horse. Unmotivated horses, the passive horses, the low-energy horses, what's most important there is that you you figure out what what does that horse want most? Does he want reassurance? Does he want praise? Does he want to be rested? Does he want to be left alone? Um, Does he want to be back with the herd? Figure out what does motivate that horse. And in many instances, it's simply your reassurance. It's simply that horse knowing that you're going to take care of them, that you're going to ask things of them, but you're always going to reward them in return. They will always be safe with you. You will always advocate for them. Um, You have to figure these horses out. It's not always as obvious um, with these more passive horses, but you want to make sure that you focus your efforts on nurturing the try in these horses and figuring out what does motivate them and um, kind of come at it from that direction. Another category that I'll talk about in terms of extremes of temperament would be the super willing, eager to please horse versus the horse that is pretty indifferent to people and don't really give a flip about what you think about them one way or the other. These horses are not always easily identified, and I'll tell you why. Sometimes the most eager to please horses are the ones that seem standoffish and the ones that have learned avoidance behavior. 
And the reason why is because somebody in their in the in the horse's past has handled them in a way that's discouraged their willingness. In fact, I will tell you this. Sometimes super super willing horses are the most me- are the most easily misunderstood and they're often misunderstood to be defiant and untrainable horses. And in my experience, um, I've learned, I've had, you know, like most trainers, I've had horses come into my tutelage that other trainers had discer- determined to be untrainable, that that someone had put a label on as somehow being defective horses, untrainable. And I have, in finding the key that unlocks those horses, discovered that what they were was super, super willing horses that have been misunderstood. When a horse is so willing that they stress over whether or not they're giving you the right answer, and you can see that in a horse's face, then what happens is when that horse gets confused, all he wants to do is give you the right answer, but he doesn't know what the right answer is. If in that moment the trainer punishes him for not knowing what the right answer was when all he was doing was trying his guts out to find the right answer, that horse learns that willingness is a bad thing. And he learns to hide it. And um, he learns to basically just have meltdowns at any second he becomes confused. And that all stems from him being so very willing to begin with. With these kinds of horses, we have to do everything to avoid them getting confused. We have to slow down our training. We have to reward small increments. We have to stop and take deep breaths a lot. We have to watch that horse's facial expressions and make sure he's not stressing um, too much over trying too hard. These horses do not do well with very demanding training. So if you are the type of rider that is always asking more, 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 driven, 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 working really hard, get pushing, pushing, pushing the limits, the super willing, eager to please horse may not be the right horse for you. You may do better with that more dominant, brave, curious, um, pushy kind of horse, in fact. Willingness is a trait that can be easily and permanently damaged through bad handling. So if you feel like your horse has that super willingness, eager to please attitude, um, you want to protect that with everything you got. Be very careful in uh, who you allow to interact with and train that horse. If you have a horse that is seemingly indifferent to you, Um, Well, this is in fact how many horses are. Um, They're not outwardly affectionate animals. They have a lot of traits that cause them to be stoic and act indifferent, but that doesn't mean that's actually how the horse feels. So you can't really criticize or diminish a horse in any way for not being a golden retriever. That's not what horses are. I always say if you want a really affectionate animal that follows you around and wants to be petted, get a dog. So horses can be quite indifferent and stoic by nature, and that's okay too. As I said, sometimes these horses do better with the more driven riders, and you know it has to be something that you 
think about in terms of your own personality and your own traits and make sure you get a good match there. One more category of horses I want to talk about in terms of temperament are the exceptionally smart horses. Now, remember earlier I said that all horses are rapidly learning animals. If I've said it once, I've said it a thousand times. If your horse is not learning what you want him to learn rapidly, it's not the horse's fault. He is a rapidly learning animal. What happens, unfortunately, is that horses learn inappropriate behavior or bad behavior or undesirable behaviors as quickly as they learn the good ones. Most problem horses fall into the category of being exceptionally smart horses. They've learned to manipulate people. They've gotten away with things you wish they'd have never gotten away with. They've learned tactics you wish they had never learned. And that doesn't mean the horse has a problem. That just means he's been poorly handled and poorly trained. But keep in mind that you can't unlearn behaviors. And so if somebody is working with an exceptionally smart horse, and let's say that horse learns that all he has to do is uh, grab the lead rope, turn his head away, and take off, and he can overpower any human on the face of the earth, Um, we really wish that horse hadn't learned that. Most horses never learn that. It never occurs to them that they can overpower you. But once a horse has learned that type of behavior, you can't unlearn it. He will forever know how to do that. We can train and train and train on that horse. We can be very careful about how we handle him. But he will forever know that with certain people and under certain circumstances, he can get away with that kind of behavior. So the exceptionally smart horses often turn into quote-unquote problem horses because they have learned to outthink humans. Even though our brains are much bigger and (laughs) much more capable than a horse's brain, uh, they still learn to outthink us. They learn to manipulate the actions of humans. And also, unfortunately, they learn to distinguish between handlers and riders. They can easily distinguish between a pro and a non-pro rider, and they know, okay, if this rider falls into a certain category, I'm going to be able to get away with this, this, and this. If this rider does not fall into that category, no can do. Got to act the straight and narrow. So exceptionally smart horses can be a challenge. Of course, they are Um, beautiful to train when you can keep up with their intelligence and because they learn so fast. Exceptionally smart horses can also be extremely willing and driven and eager to please horses as well. My horse Pepperoni certainly falls into that category. So it's not always a bad trait to have an exceptionally smart horse. We just want to make sure that that horse is handled in such a way that he learns positive Uh, behaviors and not the undesirable ones. You know, the truth is that no matter what your horse's temperament is, it can either be improved or damaged by the training and the handling it receives. Training mistakes are inevitable, but how the horse responds to your mistakes may depend on its temperament. Horses are individuals. They have different genetics, and always with different life experiences that shape how they behave. 
This is what keeps horse sports fun and a constant journey. I've had experience with literally thousands of horses in my life, so I've learned that there are a lot of commonalities, and I've learned to identify certain traits easily. But the beauty is that each horse I meet is an individual with something new to teach me. I can fall back on my experience, but I must always be open to the horse's individuality and work within that framework. And now it's time for my favorite segment, What the Hey Q&A. Each month, we pick a few unique questions from our listeners and answer them on the air. If you'd like to submit a written question for What the Hay, please go to my Facebook page at Julie Goodnight Horsemanship or email podcast at juliegoodnight.com. By the way, we keep all your questions in a queue, dropping off only the ones I've already answered. So even if I have not answered the question you submitted yet, I hope to get to it soon. Or maybe I'll turn your question into the main topic for a future podcast like I did today. So stay tuned. Our first question is from Alan, and this comes from my blog post on proactive riding, taking the driver's seat. And Alan says, great article. What do you recommend when a horse gets extremely nervous in one particular place? Example, I ride down the barn road, big facility, sometimes quiet, sometimes busy, and the horse is looky, but fine. Now I return on the same road and he gets extremely anxious, head up, speeds up as though he's waiting for something or someone to jump out at him. His attitude is extremely different in the same place, but in different directions and times. Thanks, Alan. Okay, well, there's a couple of subtleties in that question that I'm not sure about. So it sounds to me a little bit like when you're riding away from the barn, the horse is quiet and maybe less reluctant to move forward. But then when you turn around and come back, he gets anxious, head up and speeds up. Um, So that sounds a little bit like a lack of speed control as it relates to the horse going slow when you leave the barn and the horse speeding up and going fast. If what you're noticing is that he gets extremely anxious, that could also be in keeping with this actually being a herd-bound problem because, of course, as soon as he turns around, he's thinking about being back at the barn and he's very anxious and eager to get there. So he wants to speed up and the closer he gets, the more you know, excited and anxious he becomes. So I would first and foremost question, is this really, is this a speed control issue? Is this an issue of obedience? Is this an issue of um, being separated from the herd? Your horse should walk the exact same speed headed away from the barn that he does headed back to the barn. If he does not, um, you've got a basic obedience problem. Lots of information on my website that can uh, clue you into how to deal with that kind of problem. Now, if your horse is otherwise pretty calm and manageable, but there's one certain place or one certain activity that you ask him to do that really brings out a lot of fear and anxiety, that could be a context-specific situation. 
I'll give you an example of my husband's horse, Casper. This is a super well-trained horse. He's, he's young. He's only seven, maybe coming eight. However, he's had a lot of experience. He's been a ranch horse. He's been, uh, he's been shown as a rainer. He's been roped off of both ends, team roped off. Um, so he's been to a lot of rodeos and the like. And he's really had a lot of experience. He's a very well-behaved horse, but there are certain things that really set him off. And one of them is the cutting flag that we have in our indoor arena. Now, you would think that a cow horse uh, uh, with his experience level might have been trained on a flag before. Horses that have never seen a flag before aren't nearly as fearful and reactive to it as Casper is. And his reaction was so over the top and so out of keeping from his normal riding behavior that we said, hey, something going on here. Let's, let's drop way back. Let's train this fear out of him, starting on the ground first, starting away from the flag with something else that might make him a little bit fearful. Um, I think we used the rainbow-colored tarp on the ground. We taught him how to deal with his fear, and then we brought those skills to the flag, and now he's working the flag very well. So the, your horse could have become extremely anxious in a certain situation because of a bad experience he had in the past or because it's just simply um, overwhelming to the horse in that moment. So if that's the case, we need to go back and, and teach coping skills, how to cope with fear. Again, I've written a lot on that in, on my website and done other blogs on it, but I would start working from the ground. If you do have a particular place that the horse is uncharacteristically anxious about, start working from the ground to reprogram that behavior, reward relaxation, teach him to drop his head, take a deep breath, and um, rehabituate the horse in that specific context or in that specific area where his anxiety is. And um, one, one quick example of this I'll tell you about was in uh, something I did with uh, my young horse, Pepper, and it really paid off. I, I just kind of happened upon this, but he was just a two-year-old, and I was riding him in a giant, vacuous coliseum all by himself. And this arena is gigantic. It's like 200 feet by 300 feet with, you know, stadium coliseum all around it, cattle shoots and the like at the far end. Now, he was just two years old, so very green in his training, but I knew that this was sort of a make-or-break situation. I knew that he wasn't going to want to go to the far corners of the vacuous arena where the cattle chutes were and where all the scary stuff was. And as I took him in that arena by himself, he was just full of energy, just full tank of rocket fuel on board. So I just started loping him, really galloping him in a big giant circle down at the safe end of the arena near the gate. And I just let him gallop off that steam and we went round and round and round and round. And I started uh, making that circle a little bit bigger going into the middle of the arena and we went round and round and we turned around and went the other way. We went round and round and round. He's still full tank of gas. And I don't know how long we went. We went for a very long time. But when I finally felt him starting to relax a little bit, when I finally felt that excessive steam come off of him, 
I waited till I was all the way at the far end of the arena to allow him to stop. And I allowed him to recoup his energy and recoup his breathing while standing in the far corner of the arena. And we stood there for about a half an hour until the horse was totally calm and breathing normally. And then the next day, I had a, this, a similar opportunity to do the same thing. And from that day forward, every time I take that horse into a new arena or every time he gets really tired and wants a break, he takes me to the far corners of the arena because he learned that that's the be- best place to be. So from doing that one or two times when that horse was really young, I reprogrammed his way of thinking. He was able to apply that to other experiences in his life. And that all happened just from resting him at the scary end of the arena. So now when he wants to rest, he actually migrates you to the far end of the arena. So that's an example of replacing replacement training, tra- um, replacing one behavior with another to rehabituate the horse's anxiety. And you have to do that systematically and methodically uh, start on the ground first and uh, rehabituate that horse to calmness in that place of anxiety. Our next question comes from Bob via email, and this is a comment on my article called Expert Trailer Loading Fix. And Bob says, My four year old horse rushes off the ramp instead of backing slowly. This began during a pouring rain when she slipped to her knees after getting new shoes put on. Ever since that event, she gets a few steps on the ramp, then rushes off. Any thoughts on how to address this? Thank you, Bob. Bob, oddly enough, this question has some similarities to the previous one. Your horse has done exactly what I was talking about in a certain context her anxiety wells up and takes over. So she had that one bad experience of slipping. Now, I doubt she hurt herself. She just scared herself on the ramp. And so now, every time she gets on the ramp, she just wants to get off of it as fast as she can because she's afraid something bad's going to happen there. So really, the same answer is you need to rehabituate that horse to the ramp, uh, rehabituate, calm, slow, stopping behavior into the horse. So first of all, and you've probably already figured this out, but I always want to make sure, particularly when I'm using a trailer with a ramp, but any trailer that has rubber matting on the floor, that I want to make sure that it is no way slick to the horse. He's going to scramble around in the trailer, getting out of the trailer, on a ramp, getting on the ramp, getting off the ramp. So make sure there's traction there. If you have a wet environment, you know, the worst is when the horse has snow on his feet and then steps on a rubber mat. So I would consider using some sand, just do a light dusting of sand on your ramp or on your mats. Um, Sometimes shavings or sawdust can be beneficial if you don't put too much of it down, but make sure your horse has good traction underneath or consider using rubber um, hoof boots You can buy them sized um, for the shod horse if you want to use them for trailering or buy some that are made um, primarily for trailering. And this not only gives your horse good traction on the ramp, but also helps pad uh, their feet for a long time standing in the trailer. 
So make sure you're taking good care of your horse and not putting her into a risky situation again. When you have a horse that's backing up too fast, whether it's coming out of a trailer, whether it's on a ramp, or whether you're just holding a horse on the ground, never pull on that lead rope to try to stop the horse. Pulling on a horse that's pulling backwards will always make them go backwards harder. This is a very difficult thing not to do. Instinctively, when a horse starts flying backwards, you want to pull on the lead rope to try to stop him. But when he feels that pull on the pole, pole of his head, he will automatically pull into it and go back even harder and often lose their balance as a result. So resist resist the temptation to pull on that lead rope when a horse is backing up. Instead, I want to start by going way back away from the trailer and work on backing cues until you can back that horse one step at a time with very light cues that don't involve pulling the rope to go back or pulling the rope to stop. So teach that horse to back one step at a time off a uh, audible cue from you, off a sign language cue from you uh, without a pull on the rope. Get the horse in the habit of backing one step and stopping, praise that horse, back one step, stop and praise, back one step, stop and praise until that becomes pretty automatic for your horse. Then bring the horse into the trailer. If I've got a horse that rushes out of a trailer, I like to retrain that in preferably in a very long stock trailer. And I'll put that horse all the way to the front of the trailer and then I'll back him one step, stop, praise him, give him a little treat, back him one step, stop, praise him, give him a little treat. And I'll continue one step at a time until that horse really gets in the routine of only backing one one step and then stopping. So then you're going to bring this skill to the trailer. Then you're going to ultimately bring it to the ramp as well, making sure you stop that horse between each step with a reward and praise, and you cue him to take a step back instead of letting him control the narrative and just run backwards. Step the horse forward any time during this process that it tenses and starts to think about going backwards harder, uh, actually bring the horse forward, stop, reset, ask him to take a deep breath, ask him to put his head down a little bit, praise him a little bit, and then start the whole thing over. At first, you may only get one or two slow steps uh, before the horse starts rushing backwards, but you're going to build on that until you can stop that horse anywhere on that ramp. Um, the horse should come to understand this is a game of, st- of stepping back one step at a time, but you want to teach that away from the trailer, teach that skill, teach those cues, and then bring it back to the trailer. And remember, most importantly, don't ever pull on a horse that's flying backwards. Um, st- Ask the horse to stop by saying, whoa, by stopping yourself or stepping the horse forward. Take a deep breath. Praise that horse over and over and over for stopping. So with a little bit of time and effort, you should be able to get past uh, this one little area of anxiety that your horse is having. That's all the questions we have time for today. We still have a few questions in the lineup that I couldn't get to this time, but I'll keep plugging away in my Wet the Hay segment each month. 
I love sharing my horse care and training experience with you, and I appreciate all your feedback, suggestions, and questions. It's been good to finally be back on the road again and to hear your in-person comments. I can't tell you how wonderful it is for me to hear from my listeners, and I'd love to hear what topics interest you the most. So if you have questions for What the Hay or podcast topics you'd like me to address, please message me on Facebook at Julie Goodnight or email podcast at juliegoodnight.com. And here are a few tips. If you want your question answered on the air, please keep your question concise, use proper punctuation so I can read it properly out loud, and please proofread it before hitting send. Next month on my podcast, we'll cover another horsemanship topic to expand your knowledge and help make your horse life better. Remember to hit subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. And don't forget to check my online membership programs. You'll find the solutions you need when you need them. You can subscribe to my full training library with hundreds of videos, audios, and articles, all of its searchable content. Or you can enroll in a horsemanship short course on building confidence. Or join me at the premier level, the Interactive Academy, where you receive a 12-month training curriculum and personalized coaching from me. Just go to juliegoodnight.com join and start your ride. No matter where you are in your horsemanship journey, whether you're new to horses or an old hand, whether you're training a green horse or refining your higher level skills, I hope you found some helpful information here to make your horse life better. Thanks again for your awesome comments and for the five-star ratings. It helps me out a lot and it helps us rise in the rankings so more horse lovers, just like you and me, can find this podcast. I'm Julie Goodnight. Thank you for listening, and please stay safe and enjoy the ride. Be sure to visit juliegoodnight.com academy for more in-depth training advice. If you enjoyed this podcast, I'd really appreciate your good review on iTunes so more horse lovers just like you can find my podcast. Thanks for listening, and don't forget to enjoy the ride.